Conrad. Yeah. My good friend Conrad. Yeah. Do you want um, overhand or underhand? Uh, do you like a strong grip uh, or something more tender? Should I be going fast or slow? Well, I, I if I'm honest, I like a very delicate touch okay. at the start, yeah. you know, yeah. for, for the build. You know, very, very light. Um, I mean, you do want to finish somewhat fast, right. but you know, I mean, it's it's gonna change, you know, in and out. I'll signal. Don't worry about it. The tender touch, and then I'll just take your um, your 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 direction. You know what? You know what I'll do? I'll I'll use the app. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, and and connect to uh the item that you're holding. Yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not holding. Yeah, not holding it in my hands. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Right. And 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 so that sh I could use that to sort of signal the rhythm. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. You do that. Yeah. Basically, I tell you what. Right. I'll pop a a Lovevents butt plug up me if you download that app, uh, that particular one, right, and right. then if you just slide it up and down. Now, hang and on. Are they, are they collecting a lot of data? Because you know I've got oh. a thing about data collection on my phone. That's true. That's true. Um, I'll look into that for you. Um, hello, by the way, uh, listeners, uh, if you've just joined us, um, I'm uh, making plans for how Conrad and I are going to celebrate Wanksgiving tomorrow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's tomorrow at the time we record uh, when this podcast goes out, uh, obviously on a Thursday. Uh, this uh, will be up. Look at you both knowing when when Wanksgiving is. I knew it was this week. I knew that much. Yeah, Laura before the show was asking me how my how my Wanksgiving was, and I was like, it's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Yeah, he's lubing up in prep. I knew that my Dice Funk recording session got cancelled yesterday, so I'd assumed yesterday. I forget that Wanksgiving is like a week long celebration. Yeah. Well, you, you've got to you got to have the day of mm -hmm. prep, you know, or Edge Day as we call it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and then. You have the, you know, Wanksgiving proper, and then, you know, by Friday, you, you've you got uh, Whack Friday. Oh, I was... <laughs> perfect. Uh, <laughs> and the cues for that as well, it's, it's uh, um, unforgivable. 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 And I mean, you don't even have to change the name of Cyber, Cyber Monday. <laughs> no, 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 I usually clean up on that day in, in several ways. Um, yeah. I mean, I I am aware of of when it is because I am a proud Amer I am a shamed American. Mm. You are a legal American. I am I'm a British American, so I remember uh, Guy Fawkes Night and Thanksgiving. I didn't remember Thanksgiving. I only uh, remember. Oh no, no, I did. Yeah. I forgot that I remembered because I was going to do the Thanksgiving thing. Yeah. You you started the episode on it. Yeah. 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 You actually successfully yeah. remembered it and then forgot in the middle of doing the bit about remembering yeah. it. Yeah, how is that? That's pretty remarkable attention deficit. How is that, <laughs> listener? Right? That That's top tier. I am, like, I'm, I'm, I'm crushing it. That's ADHD for you right there. <laughs> when it comes to having a memory <laughs> disorder, I am crushing it. Whatever that is, I've forgotten what we were talking about. Uh, <laughs> what, what were we talking about? Thanksgiving. The, um, the creative success of Spectrum Pro Wrestling. Uh, oh, emphasis on creative success. I do believe. I mean, look by by indie wrestling standards, the amount of money I'm losing is still successful. Yeah, based <laughs> on what I've heard, it's gone all right. But you know, I'm I pride myself on being a trans-run wrestling promotion that actually pays its talent. Yeah, unlike the other trans-led wrestling promotion that that um hosted an all-trans show uh, a while back and didn't. 
A people. So in that regard, we're doing very well. You're doing all right. You functionally made a night of good event happen that people got paid for their time. That is further ahead than most indie wrestling. I had the funniest night of my life. Oh, it was so fucking good. It was very funny. Thank you. Yeah, my, uh, for those that don't know, I, which surprises me because I've been hammering on about it. <laughs> I still get fans of mine who are like, I didn't even know you were in town. Yeah. And I'm like, how do you, <laughs> you're following me. You're following me and responding to my work. Like, like, and I, I keep, oh, it doesn't matter. Um, promotion is really hard. Yeah. Especially when you've got social media things like burying it, like algorithmically. But anyway. Yeah. Huge success. I tag teamed with Priscilla, Queen of the Ring, um, to form a new tag team that we're, we're planning to take out on the road. We actually have an, uh, a booking. Ooh. We're going to be in Sheffield again for True Grit. Um, at the same venue, in fact. Um, I think they've called the event Festive Forearms. Um, <laughs> December 30th, like right near New Year's Eve. Yeah, teaming with Queen uh, Priscilla, our tag team is called Queens of the Space Age. Uh, we look so fucking... Oh, you, you are such a fabulous double act. Mate, we got quick wits, tight fits, glitter glitz and big fat tits. It's, it's really... Um, I'm really excited for it. Um, and then we fought the freak show, the, uh, the clowns, Axel the Clown, Freaky Felicia. Um, I got hypnotised and wrestled myself. Did an Evil Dead 2 reference where I flipped myself head over heels with my own hand. Good stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Got to see Laura this weekend. Yeah, I got to do I got to I did solo commentary for four hours and I think I did alright. Crushed it. Nailed it. We have camera angles and everything. We have multiple angles. We're we're moving up in the world. That we are. <laughs> you all put on uh, really a hell of a show. I was talking to, to Phoenix about it, I guess last night, and you know, People don't understand what goes in. Yeah. Oh, God, like yeah. the sheer number of, like you think about the big, but the sheer number of little things that happen on the day or in the moment that pile up to be just an overwhelming mass of stuff. And Phoenix killed it. Just killed that show. Yes. In terms of management, because you can't tell. You honestly can't tell. It doesn't happen without them. It, it doesn't. No. And, and like I said at the end of the show, I'm like, they wanted to give me this. Like they said, they put a ring on my finger and we'll put a ring under my feet. And this is back when I had promoters telling me I wasn't good enough to be on, like perform on their shows. Like come, come in, cut a little promo, introduce a real wrestler, you know, that kind of thing. And, and Fee was like, fuck it. Like we'll create our own opportunity. Then I got a shitload of bookings. So now I just get the, boast of, uh, the best of both worlds, get my own promotion and get to do things like, like I did Sunday. Fucking, we, we ran Spectrum. Then I was in Leicester for Resurgence, who have been treating me very nicely. And I single-handedly kicked the asses of Lycos Gym, which is really intimidating because they're really fucking good. We had Kid Lycos 2 on the show. And yeah, like, like, Almost beat Nathan Black. I, I wish someone would. Um, but yeah, uh, that's good. Also, before we move on to the video game stuff, just to linger quickly on the wrestling stuff, I've been promoting. They've not officially said anything yet, so either they are going to do it before tomorrow or fuck it, because I'm not going to keep covering for his ass. <laughs> yeah. But I've been promoting Sovereign Pro Wrestling, mm -hmm. a promotion that I love and who 
have my back and have been brilliant to work with. I want to preface anything I say uh, with that. Yeah. And I also want to preface it with saying I am now talking purely for myself, but I've been promoting the fact that I've had this big, exciting match with a, a WWE Attitude Era uh, legend, Scotty Too Hotty. He, uh, despite accepting the booking, um, being all on board with the promotion, knowing what the match was going to entail... He's pulled out. He doesn't want to work with me. He cited a tweet in which I was um, outspoken about my gender identity. He took offense to a trans performer talking about their identity. Ultimately, he then changed his excuse to, I don't like them. I don't do funny stuff. The guy who does the worm, who I saw doing, who I saw doing funny stuff at a show we were both on, yeah. where incidentally, when I said hello to him, he gave me a funny fucking look, like a confused, slightly off, weird look, which I wanted to write down to being my imagination. But from what I've been hearing, and after he quit Twitter, after saying he'll never wrestle women because he's got a daughter. Yeah. Like, the guy's clearly got, like, gender issues he needs to work out. And I think, even if it was the excuse that he doesn't like the way I, I wrestle or do things, to accept the booking and then pull out yeah. after believing they're beneath you. That's just tacky. It's not like there is any secret about what your wrestling persona and style is. That is very, very upfront. Yeah, I just think he didn't realise that the uh, trans person he uh, reluctantly shook hands with a few months ago and Commander Sterling were the same person. So, yeah. But even even if his second excuse, which I don't buy either of them, like, I don't even buy the one where he, he took some weird offence. I think he saw me unmasked and said no. Yeah. But, but even if it was his second excuse that he, you know, thinks I'm beneath him, how unprofessional. Yeah. How unprofessional to pull out of that booking after you've already agreed to it and, and knew what the match was going to be. It was pitched to me as something that would be fucking funny, that it would have comedy bits. The guy does dances and the worm. Like, it was going to be a, a joke, a very sort of comedy-centric match. For him to claim he doesn't do quote-unquote funny stuff is bullshit. And to be clear again, I know you've mentioned it already, but, like, Sovereign has had your back on this, and, like, the reason this match is not happening uh, is, you know... Sovereign has your back in this situation. Yes. They're being supportive and that is, you know, good on Sovereign, not good on this. Yeah. And I know they they want they don't want everything to be about this. Yeah. Which is why I'm speaking for myself because they want to focus on the show. This yeah. they've got their second show coming up and don't want it clouded by controversy, which I honestly understand. Yeah. But they 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 do have my back. They've had my back before this. They've actually been very supportive of my, um, I publicly stated, like, I want to compete in the um, the women's division there because they have divisions and I want to go for yeah. the, the women's title. As, as a trans femme, I already had a word with them months ago where I was like, where would I go if you had divisions? And they said, well, you're non-binary. Like, like, I think either division is valid. That's what one of the owners said. So I make my choice. It's it's very much the st- it sounds like the stance that my um old roller derby league used to take, which is um hey you go in whatever division feels right for you, and we will trust that you as a person know where you fit best, and we will back you to go in whatever position works for you. Yeah. So they've been so open, so accepting. They 
see me as a, a long-term fixture. Um, I mean, hell, they're, they're making action figures because the bankrolling they've got is absurd from, from what I've seen. <sighs> and they certainly get the crowds in for it. Like, it's a bit... The, the last soft show is the biggest crowd I've ever performed in front of, in and out of wrestling. Yeah, they're talking about action figures, and they've already said, like, I'm, I'm going to be one of the first, like, in the first series they do. They see me as a big part of them, as a, a, an important thing, which means the world to me because I've spent so many years being seen as so ancillary to wrestling. Yeah. And dealing with attitudes like, like Scotty's um, second excuse, that, that people think I'm beneath them. Um, and that's not how Sov or, or really all but one of the wrestling promotions <laughs> I've worked for this year have, have treated me as someone equal, as someone who isn't a lesser wrestler, a fake wrestler, who is part of the business. And... You know, I'm going to go to Soft Pro on February 5th, whether I'm fighting Shreddy one-on-one or doing something else. Yeah. And, and I'm going to put on a, a, an incredible performance that will not be the best capital W wrestling TM in the world, but will be one of the most memorable parts of the night like it always is, like I always am. Indeed. So, yes. Yeah. Welcome to Podquisition. Uh, I'll do the little segue just so that yeah, we, we get there go. eventually. Uh, Conrad, looking at the list, I don't know how many games Steph's played this week, but I think Conrad might have played the most this week. I think so. Oh, I've I've played. I have definitely played the most. I'm sure of this. A twist. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was. I wanted. I didn't have time today, but there's a Focus Home Interactive game that released yesterday that looks wonderfully janky. I can't wait. I can't wait to play it. Evil West. Can't wait. So ready to play it, but I haven't yet because I've had other stuff to do. It's on my list. I have a couple of things on my list. That's on my list. Uh, the people that made What the Golf have made a VR game and uh, called What the Bat, and I'm very curious to try that. But, uh, Conrad, what have you been playing this week? You start us off with a game. You know, I actually, I have games I didn't even put on the list that I played. Oh. Holy shit. I played so many games this week. It's a Conrad Cornucopia. Oh, my goodness. Um, but my... Big one this week is, um, have either of you ever played Gungrave? I've played a bit of Gungrave. Let me Google a picture of it. I know the name. I definitely know the name. Because well, The thing is, is if you had played it, Steph, I would think that it would be among your, you know, one of those <laughs> games that you would think about of that era. Oh, it's holding a leg. Yeah, I don't think I ever did. Yeah. Yeah, because this, it is such a, as from what I know about the types of games that you enjoy and your uh, acceptance and willingness to go along with a budget title. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really think at the time you would have found Gungrave okay. to be a very interesting PlayStation game. PlayStation 2. I could get this on the Steam Deck. Are, are you in the mood for like angsty, over the top character action y nonsense? Because this is. Mm, this is some of that. I'm in the mood for angsting. It does look like my thing. I'm seeing someone explode after being shot by a man who's has a gun strapped to him by chains that looks bigger than him. No, 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 that's not a gun. That's not a gun. It is his own coffin. <laughs> ah! Ah! Oh, I'm on board. I'm in. <laughs> okay, so... This this is a that will give you a little bit of history on this because yeah. I have been in on this from day fucking one. Okay, um, back in the early two thousands, uh, a rising star in the manga scene, uh, Yasuhiro Naitao, he just come off of 
his manga being made into a hugely popular anime called Trigun. Mm-hmm. And the next project he decides to do, I think, I think it's the, the like the next thing. I, I think you're right, yeah. Is he wants to do character designs for a video game and, and make this video game. Gungrave, a lot of people think was an anime first no. or a manga first. It's a video game first. Yeah. Which is its own level of fascinating to me. And so it has very similar character designs to what you'd find in Trigun, both in terms of visual design and general like tone and concepts. A lot of big beefy characters, lots of weird cybernetic characters. And the main character, as mentioned, carries around his own coffin. <laughs> oh, and it's full of guns. Yeah. It is coffin gun. It, it's his gun grave. It's his, his coffin full of guns that he just has with him. He's... Right. Uh-huh. The game is... Meh. <laughs> it's got a nice art style. It has a nice art style. And there is something to it. Yeah. Because it is a combo-driven game. Where you are assaulted with hordes of enemies from every direction and you are constantly spraying bullets everywhere, building up meters for specials, using special attacks to refresh your health and your stamina. On and on it goes. It's like Devil May Cry, but slow. (laughs) Stodgy. Right. Pretty much mostly bullets, right? And if you're looking at this game and thinking that it's going to be fast and exciting. It's really more of a horde game than, uh, you know, like a horde survival game than it is a run-in action shootery thing. Uh, so some people could be deceived. Anyway, first game comes out. It's not super successful, but it's just successful enough to get a cult following and an anime green light. Right. And there's this Gungrave Gore, right? Well, Gungrave Gore, this... This is coming. Right, yeah. Yeah. The anime does, because I, I want people to know about this and find it and watch it. Because it does my one of my favorite anime trope things. It gives you the big, exciting, oh shit, this dude's a badass. He's going to kick some ass. This is going to be awesome. First, like, half of the first episode. And then it gives you, it goes back in time, like, 25 years, 30 years. And you get that character's back, entire backstory up until the point that he died. Which is this huge dramatic mafia story with his best friend, and it is none of the action. It's it's all character drama. I mean, look, it's it's something from the creator of Trigun. It's 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 beautiful. It is really really good. That's the thing. Like it's it's the kind of thing that I would hate. I'd be so frustrated by it if it wasn't so fucking well written <laughs> and compelling. It's a really good anime. And then they do Gungrave OD, which is the second game in the franchise, which is more of the same. They do very, very little in changing them. It's a little smoother because there were some slowdown issues with the first Gungrave. And the game is significantly, has more content. It's a much lengthier, meatier game to play through. But other than that, it's really not that different. And then it went away. Like, there's this... Three-year period of Trigun stuff coming out. Two years, maybe. And then it's over. And then in, like, 2015 or 2016, and I missed this, apparently the 
company that made this as a way of sort of like announcing, hey, Gungrave's back. They did a VR version. Oh, I didn't know about the VR one. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a VR person. I, uh, I wouldn't have tried it, but you might want to track this down, Laura. I might see if I can track this down for next week. I did not know there was VR Gungrave. Right? Yeah. And then now Gungrave Gore, which is the yeah. third game in the series. We are nearly 20 years into the franchise with a you know significant gap between what are canon entries in it. Nothing has changed. <laughs> it is exactly the same fucking game. And it is wonderful. I am really having a great time with it. It, uh... You stand, you do a lot of standing still and pulling the trigger. Uh, you can move, but you don't move particularly fast. You have a dodge. It doesn't work particularly well. Uh, you have a jump that is weird. It's just very vertical, no, but not much height and, and not much horizontal lateral movement to it. It's terrible. Um, but necessary, because you will have boss encounters where the boss uses a floor-level attack that jumping's the only way to dodge it. But none of the maneuverability things work particularly well to keep enemies off you. You're better off, in a lot of cases, just trying to build up the special meter so you could use a, some form of special attack and wipe them all out. But there are some interesting, stylish uh, shooting modes that you can avail yourself of. Once you build up a certain level of combo, you can do a thing where you hold down the Y button and in, or you press the Y button and it'll just shoot semi-randomly in all directions around you to push off hordes. Meanwhile, if you tap the right trigger four times while standing still, it goes into an auto-fire mode that lets you move the cursor around and just aim at multiple targets quickly. So there are a few different ways to approach being able to just spray bullets into the battlefield, but that is what you're doing. It's a game that I think Steph would really enjoy in that it is it is a great game for just, I just want the, the dopamine button to see lots of things flashing and lots of things dying. Yes. And I'm just stood here and like, I am a very powerful and movable source of infinite death. I'm going to have to track down a, a ROM and whack it on my Steam Deck because um, I'm one of those people that, that finds it very difficult to jump into a follow-up to an original thing. They, they do um, provide a really, really terrible, like, just poorly worth the watch because yeah. of how bad it is. It reads like a wikipedia plot entry for a movie that really nobody cares enough about to go in and fix this sort of bullet point listing of relatively minor events some repeated it's it's pretty bad but it's like it, it covers all of the events in the game and the stories i i gotta emphasize it's not good but yes. Well, I, I want to experience the game so I know what I'm comparing it to and that I feel like I've... Yeah, go boot the original PS2 game up on the, uh, on the, on the Steam Deck. Honestly, that's where I would, like... Yeah. Yeah, if you, if you find the idea interesting, the series has changed so little by its modern entries, just go play the original one. Yeah. 
Yeah, you really will be fine. Yeah, you've you've got enough of a willingness to play kind of jank old games that I think you'll enjoy the original PS2 one. Love me some jank. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I saw someone, because I just noticed um, Evil West was trending and clicked on it, and I saw someone, like, comparing, um, talking about both Evil West and Gungrave. Um, yeah. Gore. Gore? Gungrave gore. Gore, yeah. yeah. Just sort of saying it's very 360 era. Um, sort of those 360 uh, action games, which is, I like that too. Well, I was talking about this on my stream when I was playing it uh, yesterday, twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman. And what I, somebody brought up that it looks like a 360 action game. And yeah, it, it would, it should, because had history, had we been in the proper timeline, Gungrave Gore would have come out in, like, 2008, you know, after a, a, a solid run of development cycle, but still be a, a budget game coming out on a platform that would be the next generation for it. It's a weird game in that, in terms of, like, the feel of the sort of game design ideas, it feels forward-thinking for PS2 and, old, like, old for now. Yeah. It never came out during the generation it would have felt at home in. It's a game out of time. Yeah. But I really, I do like it. Boy, this, it, I'm only, th I'm only three stages in. Is And I have played a fair, it's like uh, a few hours, <laughs> a few hours. Uh, but that third level boss is some real fucking cheese. And that's where I'm going to be, a I'm going to, I'm going to accept that. This is how this game series always kind of is. But that boss has range that you really have difficulty determining. Grave is not mobile enough to dodge most attacks, and they don't give quite enough telegraphing to know which attack you're about to get hit with so that you could do the jump or the, the dive. But I don't care because I really am having fun I'm already going back and replaying the first two stages so I can build up some, uh, you know, currency to level up with and make that easy. I could have gone to easy, but I won't. I'm going to stick it out on normal. I'm going to beat that boss and I'm going to finish the game on normal. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's real good. It is a, a lot of fun if you if you can accept some budget cheese, which... I, I love. Um, and the character designs are, are wacky. The, uh, the voice acting is predictably bad, um, at least in English. Yep, I love it. It's great. You should play it. Uh, why don't you all talk about some Pokemans? Pokemon! Because we all know where this is going. Pokemon! Ah, uh, yeah. I've, that's all I've been playing this week. And I... I like I, I'll leave I'll leave most of this to Steph to talk about because I know I talked a lot last week. I've had a few more thoughts. How now I've put like an extra week into it. Oh yeah, this needn't be a monologue. Yeah, I'm probably gonna write my review. Um, I'm probably gonna start writing my review tonight, and I don't know if it'll be up before or after the podcast, but it's it's imminent. I have thoughts. Yeah. Uh, I have thoughts. Yeah, this is a game that's hard to have easy thoughts on, right? Yeah. So, I am enjoying myself. Yes. <laughs> that much is true. It's not a bad time. It's quite a good time. 
much of the time. Obviously, it's no secret that it has performance issues to yeah. an excessive degree. Like, like make no yes. mistake, like, it's bad. It's capital B bad. The slowdown is constant. And I mean constant. Yeah. I, I'm honestly, when I'm walking around in the world, I'm pretty sure it's more slowdown than regular ru- um, fr- running. I'm going to tell you a fun surprise here. Uh, people playing this on hat switches, uh, if you overclock your hat switch oh. slightly, it'll run at a stable 30 FPS. Of course it will. Of course it will. Go- of course it will. Because getting these getting these games quote-unquote illegitimately is always a better experience with Nintendo stuff lately. It sure seems that if you don't mind having slightly less battery life or your Switch running a little hotter, which might be less good for its overall health, it will run at 30 FPS on, on original hardware. I mean, what a sad state of affairs that is, that we're, we're getting overclocked Switches to run 30 frames per second. And, and that's not an indictment on the Switch. I've seen some people no, yeah. um, point at this as evidence that the Switch is bad, and needs an update. Arceus ran just fine. Yeah. Games that look better than this. Fucking Alien Isolation runs miraculously on the Switch. I think you can simultaneously say that this game is poorly optimised and is definitely not helping itself and is not well designed for the hardware it's on, while also saying this is a game that is on five-year-old hardware and definitely with stronger hardware would have had more overhead to be able to be less optimised. Yeah. I think both of those can be true. As a marquee title, it makes the Switch look bad, for sure. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, it is not powerful hardware. It is five years old. But I think blaming the Switch for this does a lot to let the game off the hook, because, honestly, the performance of this is embarrassing. I want to say, I had some people who, when I put my review up last week... uh, claimed that I was letting Nintendo off the hook and only putting the blame on the hardware. What I said in my review was, this is a game that feels like it is screaming to be on on stronger hardware. Yeah. And that, like, if we get stronger hardware, I feel like a lot of those, you know, complaints would... This will be a title that will probably get patched to run better on better hardware in the in the future. But I also think that, like... Yeah, g- games like Xenoblade Chronicles 3 run at a stable frame rate on, on the Switch... The short version is very much that Nintendo slash Game Freak slash the Pokemon Company International committed to this game coming out this year because they have uh, competitive VGC tournaments and they announced that this year would be the last year of Sword and Shield in the VGC. Yeah. They backed themselves into a corner where this had to come out now so that the next year of competitive could start training and it was not ready. <laughs> Plus, you know, having a Pokemon game for the holidays yeah. and stuff, there's going to be financial cons- uh, um interests yeah there's financial reasons and there's also like yeah the the next set of vgc tournaments have to start doing their competitive season like in the next couple of months that doesn't excuse it but i understand how they got here yeah so yeah it's it's embarrassing it really is and the game does not look good sure graphics aren't everything i'm i'm often one of the first people to to uh say that like some of my favorite games of all time are not visually impressive in the least. Some of them are fucking ugly. Like, you know, I was the one that gave Deadly Premonition a 10 out of 10 back in the day. Like, 
a game not being graphically all that good is is um it's not the highest thing on my list of concerns but yeah it looks like shit it does those environments are like i saw someone um do a side by side screenshot of um i forget what it was um maybe xenoblade chronicles x it, it probably was that's yeah although they said it they said it was on the wii not the wii u uh the original xenoblade was on the wii it might have been the original xenoblade i don't think it was that because the art style was um a lot more uh, uh devoid of color but they posted this screenshot of this very detailed open world with a lot of sort of plant life and 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 um, texture and detail and it was side by side with an environment from Pokemon Scarlet Violet which is so threadbare like it is the terrain is flat and 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 textureless almost it it's not just the graphics the stylistic choices are kind of ugly the character uh, designs and everything solid as always i think the i'm someone who is very much like was never super impressed with most of the new pokemon after gen one uh, i'm just that kind of elder millennial um but uh, a lot of the new pokemon in this one i find quite appealing i i think some of their designs are dumb as hell but in a way that i find really endearing like the what the one that sticks to my mind is like fun example of really stupid fucking design that's actually kind of good. Uh, there's a Gen two Pokemon called Dunsparce that fucking no one ever gave a shit about. It's been a bit of a laughing stock in the Pokemon community for years. They finally gave it an evolution, and they added one more segment to the middle of it and copy pasted part of its name to extend its name. So it went from Dunsparce to Da Dunsparce, and it's stupid, and I love it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so so it's got that going for it. The Pokemon art is is pretty good, but the the environments are shit. Like like I'm not gonna beat around the bush. There, well, I can't. There's barely any bushes in the fucking world, uh, the the fucking game world. It, like it looks ugly. The environments are so barren. The the environments certainly do not look as nice as they did in in Legends Arceus. There is a a a bit of a trade of quantity versus quality for sure. I mean, well, uh, it's the game's rushed. Like there, there's yeah. Let let's get right to that. There's no getting around the time this this game needed. Like I I I had this game early open earlier today. I was streaming a bit of it. Um, even post, like, all the post-launch updates, sometimes, like, whole big shadows cast by huge rocks will just flash in and out of existence. Oh, God. The, 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 yeah, there's, like, all sorts of pop-in. Yeah. Shadows flashing. Uh, when you battle in the in the world, the battle screen, mostly when um, calling back or sending out Pokemon, constantly, and I mean, con- I when I first saw it, I thought it would just be one or one or two times. But I have so many screenshots now. I could make my entire review screenshots of the camera being buried halfway into the ground and showing like the oblivion that's underneath the world map. So I've I've had very few of those, but I know a lot of people have had a lot more of them than I have. Yeah, like for me, it's been constant. I'm not doing it on purpose. Like it's just where the camera's resting. There's been enough of them that I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Like there is, there is sometimes just not proper collision to stop a camera kind of being able to 
position under a floor. Yeah, it's it's really it, it's shocking. It's it just contributes uh, to the game feeling ugly in many aspects. Um, but yeah, it's it's rushed. Like the frame rate, of course, is it's not just like the the game slowing down. Some of the frame rate, like background NPCs, move like they should be in Jason and the Argonauts. Like they move in stop motion. Yeah, it's and I want to be fair to that. That is not the this is not the only Pokemon uh, like uh, Switch game that has done that. That's a pretty common thing on Switch. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise, Monster Hunter Rise used it extensively for monsters flying in the distance. This definitely does it at a closer range than certain other titles. I've seen it in many games, not just on uh, the Switch. I've seen yeah. games do it. It's not an uncommon issue, but with this... The intensity. Near the beginning... Are you going to talk about the school with the kids kicking their legs under the table? Or... Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's it's in a classroom. <laughs> the characters are really like, like, they're not in the background. It's a small enclosed room. Yeah. Yeah. The shot is just to the kids in the classroom and they are moving. So, oh, sub... Like like sub stop motion. Yeah. The ter the, the the fucking endoskeleton at the end of um the first Terminator movie <laughs> moves s- more smoothly than that. It's again, it's embarrassing. That's that's the that's the word that keeps coming to mind with a lot of this. Yeah. But I feel like the game there are other elements uh, that make me feel this game's rushed. The thing that makes it feel rushed to me, and like the biggest like apples to apples comparison I can think of, is the fucking aiming reticle or lack thereof. Yes, we do have yeah. an issue where the game has walked things back in some regards from Arceus, which I don't think is entirely design decisions. I think some of it is they didn't have time or budget or what have you to implement them. Yeah, but yeah, the things that they have retained from Arceus are also inferior. In every way. And yes, we were talking uh, before we recorded about that aiming, if you want to carry on with that. Yeah, so like the, 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 the simple situation with the aiming is that in Legends Arceus, you have a really good aiming system. Uh, there is a little bit of minor lock-on, but generally you have an aiming reticle. You aim it at a Pokemon, you can lock onto that one if you want, nice and easy. Feels really good to use. In this, the lock-on is far harsher and far more uh, magnetizing from a distance, and there's no reticle, which means that if there's a, like a circle of Pokemon standing near each other that have spawned, and you want to aim at one of them in particular, it's really hard to get it to unlock from the one it's chosen to lock onto and like nudge it towards the one you want to lock onto. It just fundamentally feels worse, which is like that's one of the things that Arceus got so right was how casual and easy it felt to just aim, throw, done. Like that system felt wonderful, and here it's frustrating. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it it beggars belief, and it has to be because it's rushed. There's no way that is a deliberate decision. Yeah. There is no way. I look. I know that I'm get. I've gotten in trouble for sounding like I'm directly slagging off game developers, but I will say this: if that aiming system in Scarlet and Violet is deliberate no they are stupid (laughs) that is stupid so here is what i will say to my understanding from officially published timelines this and arceus were developed in tandem by two separate teams in theory scarlet and violet was developed by the a team the primary development team and legends arceus was built by the b team and honestly I don't know whether it's because the B team was asked to make a smaller project with a smaller scope and not have to make a big open world, whether they had more time 
or whatever it was, the B team is producing more quali- uh, more quality and polished work than the A team and has been for a little while now. And I really what whatever you're whatever you're doing that is allowing the B team to make that work needs to be going on with the A team. Yeah. Yeah. They need to swap those letters around. Yeah. Uh, because this is not if you show these games side by side, like just a clip side by side, you would think that Arceus was the the A team and and it's a superior game. Um but it's even little thing like like it's not even that it just feels rushed. The game feels off. And I realize that's a very vague thing for a critic to say. But everything about the game, which I am enjoying, feels off. Weird. Not quite right. So I I want to sort of come back at this a little bit, and not to say you're wrong, but to sort of share my side a little bit. Um, I'm feeling a lot more positive about the game, despite having all the same criticisms and feeling very, very much the same things. A lot of the things that I am loving about this are fundamentally things that I know I am in the niche 1% of 1% of Pokemon players that really care about a lot of the stuff that I think this game does well. I really like things like the change to being able to do egg breeding mechanics from the picnic and being able to do that wherever you are rather than needing the daycare. I really like the um, the vastly increased uh, availability of things like held items for competitive of um, being able to access things like items that impact your IVs and EVs right from the start of the game. I really appreciate a lot of, like, despite my accessibility issues with the changes to shiny hunting, I do fundamentally like the new system. I like what Terastalizing does for uh, the openness of the competitive meta, but I know that these things are not what the average person is enjoying out of Pokemon. And, like, the, the best way I can put my experience right now is that while I might, I am likely to over the next few years put more time into Pokemon Scarlet and Violet than I will into Legends Arceus. If someone who hasn't played Pokemon in several years is like, cool, I just bought a Switch, I kind of want to get back into Pokemon, where would you suggest I start? 10 out of 10 times I would say go pick up Pokemon Legends Arceus. That is the game I would recommend to people, despite the fact that I think there are things that for me, Scarlet and Violet are doing better than Legends Arceus. I know that. Arceus is just an infinitely more complete product, and like things that have been really like sitting with me with my second week with this game, Legends Arceus. I re- like I've talked about missing the Pokedex completion checklist tasks. I've talked about that. You know what I really miss, and that like I really hope like more than anything else, like eventually comes to the mainline series, having a little side quest chart that you pick up from people in town and you go do little stories in the world. And it feels like you're having a tangible impact on the world. I like that one little town in Arceus where, like, ah, oh, someone thinks they saw a a, a a will-o'-wisp up in a tree and they think it's a ghost. I went and caught it. It was a chimchar. Now they understand what was happening. Uh, that whole system of feeling like I was having an impact on a community, I miss that. Like, there are so many towns in this where I'm like, I want to pick up side quests and have little adventures to do. Yeah. And little bits of story. Like... Because like I really enjoyed like the Team Star story and the story with the Titan Quest. I think they're both really good, engaging stories. Give me tiny little side quest micro stories. Give me a story where someone thought they saw a thing. I run off. I find out what it is. Someone ah, oh, we had a little chuckle. Give me a little shit like that to do. Yeah, yeah. I tell you another thing that that and this is uh, going to be a, a purely a taste thing. Hmm. But it feels like even the Pokedex entries were rushed. Like, 
most of them are like a, a sentence that that is so nothing. Like the Venomoth one, which was just something like, it sprays poison dust from its wings. And they just left it at that. A lot of those are, we left unchanged the deck entry they've had for generations. Yeah. A lot of them are just, that is what the deck entry is and we're not fucking with it. <laughs> like, like, previous Pokemon games, when they had Pokemon from other games, from previous games, they always had new... I didn't misremember that. They always had new Pokedex entries, right? Yeah, a lot of them... So, a lot of them when reintroduced... Uh, so, yeah, a lot of these aren't the Pokedex entries from the very first time they were reintroduced. Basically, if a Pokemon hasn't had a new Dex entry in a certain number of generations, they update the, the, the Dex if it's been a while. Some of them just get caught in the cycle in weird ways where they just don't get changed. Yeah, and that's it. Like, the... I used to really like reading Pokedex entries, but these ones are just either, like you say, repeated or boring. I think a lot of the new Pokemon have really fun, interesting little Dex entries, but I get what you mean, yeah. But yeah, it's, like I say, everything about it just feels slightly off. We've talked about the performance issues. I do think it's a shame. Also, like, I miss seeing, like, going online and seeing other trainers running around. It, like, like, just coming and going, like multiplayer people, like, like the the phantoms in Dark Souls, or oh, like, like the um, the you you run about the uh, the wild air in Sword and Shield. Yeah, yeah, like the 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 conjoined open world of of um Scarlet Violet also feels like walkbacks from the um, wild areas in Sword and Shield in some ways. Well, I can understand that. I will say I do really like the implementation of, of proper co-op in this. Uh, I have been really enjoying streaming this game and just opening up for people to join me in co-op and like running around playing together. I did a stream the other day where a bunch of us decided to... Uh, evolve a bunch of our Pokemon that need running around outside of the like oh, running God. around with you to evolve. I've got complaints about that too. Uh, okay, yeah, that's <laughs> another walk back from like the Pokemon Diamond and Pearl remake had better Pokemon following you around. You can't go too far. You certainly can't ride your bike because the moment you get just like a couple of meters away from the Pokemon, it despawns, goes back into your bowl. Why? I will push back. That's always been the case in Pokemon. If you don't like it, that's not a new thing in this. No. I've played Pokemon games where the Pokemon just follows you around no matter how fast you're moving. It certainly hasn't been all of them. Sword and Shield, Legends Arceus, the last couple there have been if you move too fast, it'll just go back in the ball. I certainly... It must be more extreme then because I do not recall being this annoyed by it. Like... I can't ride my bike when I'm trying to evolve a Pokemon that needs to walk. I am moving. I can't even... It's not even being on the bike. Like, I can't even walk too far because it's not catching up and then it's despawning. That is... Yeah. And I've I've not had it to that extreme in any other game but this. That's fair. But, uh, yeah. Point, point being, I'm, I really have been enjoying the co-op. I like that the co-op doesn't gate you off from doing plot content. I like that if you co-op into of like uh, someone who is playing the other version of the game, you can just go catch your version exclusives. As much as it is a walk back to have two versions again, I like it. Uh, I appreciate at least that you can, if you co-op into someone else's game, you can just go catch all of the exclusives. I think the co-op is a really nice change, and it's one of the few things that, like, when I was playing Arceus, I very specifically said I I I kept wishing it had co-op, and I'm really happy with how that co-op has been implemented. 
Uh, as someone that does shiny hunting, I really appreciate that the new shiny hunting mechanic does work really nicely with co-op in a way that you can do co-op shiny hunts. That is something that I do feel very positive about. I wish it weren't like Arceus, though. Like, just fuck the people complaining about how it's too easy to get shinies. Like, fuck off you elitists. Oh yeah, no, no, no. To be clear, when I say I like the new shiny hunting mechanics... You like how it works with co-op. Yeah. Yeah. I I like the way it works with co-op, and I like fundamentally the thing you do that causes the increased shiny odds and what things change your shiny rates. What I disagree with is I think that curtailing to the small vocal minority of people who said you made shiny hunting too easy by having a visual sparkle and a sound effect... By giving into them and taking away the visual and audio cues, fuck them. Yeah. My entire episode of accessibility that's going up this week is about how, how bullshit that is. Yeah. And I think that I can separate. I really like the sandwich making mechanic and the return of mass outbreaks and the different way that mass outbreaks work. And I like those two in combination as a way of deliberately hunting and generating shinies while also going... You've decimated the ability to just stumble upon a random shiny, particularly for people with disabilities, and fuck you for that. Yeah. I must be doing something wrong with the outbreaks. I keep going to where they are and not seeing the Pokemon. Like, in Arceus, it was like you'd see an entire sort of mini army of them. I get you should you sh- you should be doing so. Um yeah. if you go to where if you go to where the symbol is on the map, you should be seeing waves of twenty-five at a time, and once those are knocked out, twenty-five more. Oh, I haven't seen one. Usually, what you should be seeing is up to a hundred of the same species. Like, mass outbreaks have what? way more of that species than they used to have. Yeah. Like, in Legends Arcus, you'd see maybe 30 or so in a mass outbreak. Now you see up to a hundred. I've gone to areas and I've not seen... I usually don't... Like, at most, we'll see one or two of what's supposed to be the outbreak. Uh, message me at some point when you're free. Hop into co-op with me. I'll take you to a mass outbreak and show show you. And we'll... Okay, yeah, I'd like to actually see what it looks like. Yeah. We'll 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 do we'll go do a mass outbreak in co-op together, and I'll 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 show you the thing. And if you if you want to lead me to one, I can maybe work out what where where you need to be. Yeah, just see what's up. Yeah. Also, just one more complaint because I do want to talk about things I like. Um, but just one more complaint. And this is a, like a long running thing as well. But I really wish they'd make just the online in general like better and like more stable, more modernized. Um, I don't know if you're having the same issue, but when I uh, go on to the terror raid yeah. um, option in, in the online menu, when I go on that, it shows me like a, a, a menu screen of available terror raids. Yeah. And they don't work. Oh, yeah, yeah. They won't connect to them. So I can tell you why they don't work. That system is kind of bullshit. What it is showing you is a bunch of uh, raids that everyone in the world who is going on to look for random raids is also seeing that don't yet have four people in them. If you do not click on them in time for uh, the fourth person to enter, no. That is like, I see ones that have the the outline of a Pokemon that I want, and then I'm disappointed because I can't get into it. I can do random just fine. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. I genuinely think it is a mistake for them to show the same raid to that many people. I think they should limit the number of people they show an individual raid to. Yeah, it, it's an ill-thought-out system. Sometimes yeah. I'll get into them, but you have to, like, if you press X to refresh to the list of raids, you have to, like, the second they show up, go, that's a silhouette I need, go. And, yeah. like, really hope you luck in. And and I really wish it could be, uh, it was better implemented because it seems so much harder to catch Pokemon in general, where I'm like, 
I've got level 20 Pokemon busting out of Ultra Balls when their health is but a sliver, and it's ridiculous. Yeah. You, you know what, what they should do? Have a list of species that are available that could be in raids. Yes. And go, find me find me a group of people who are also looking to do this raid. Yeah. And put me in the next available slot for that Pokemon that someone has. Yeah, I agree with that. Like, yeah, that would be a workable system for it, I think. Yeah. And it really sucks because terror raids really are the best way to get a Pokemon without being frustrated by the just sheer volume of... Like, I'm at the point where, like, the, the cute little Pokeballs that I might want to put my favourite ones in, like the Heal Ball, Luxury Ball, all that, I don't even use them now because I need Ultra Balls for everything. So, I've not been having the same experience with you. I don't know. Have you been using Pokemon that inflict status effects before catching? Because this game does seem to have... It seems to have really increased, like the importance of using status effects. Yeah, I do believe that's part of it. Yeah. I can I can do paralysis, uh, but I I'm on the lookout for a Pokemon I actually like that does sleep. Um I don't want to have to resort to a Jigglypuff. I like Jigglypuff, but like I'm trying to use newer Pokemon, but I might need to have a Jigglypuff just to send Pokemon to sleep. I have a Pokemon I think you'd really like that you probably haven't seen that can do sleep. I'll I'll send you a sleep machine that I think you'll be into. Yeah, go on. I'll take a sleep machine. I think I've got a good sleep machine for you. Nice. Um, but to... Okay. I do want to emphasise that I do not... I, I'm not all complaints on this. I think the game's got a lot of potential. Yeah. I do think... That potential is not fully realised in this. I saw someone say if it wasn't for performance issues, this would be the best Pokemon game ever made. That's wrong. It's because it's not Arceus. But like like Arceus, I said earlier this year, that represents what the series should be. This is not that. But I do like... I like the um, implementation of the open world overall. Yeah. I do like that they've made it so that Getting badges from Pokemon gyms is not the be-all, end-all. It's not the yes. the one main goal that you can do that. It's still important to do it because you need that to catch higher level Pokemon. Yeah, I do want to explain what's different about how the the badges versus Pokemon levels works because like, I didn't pick up on this at all in my first playthrough. Yeah. Um, they've changed it so that it used to be that you had to beat gyms so that Pokemon in your party who were above a certain level would obey you. Uh, what it is now is that when you defeat a gym, Pokemon that were originally caught abo- uh, below a certain level will obey you. And that seems like a minor difference, but it basically means that if you've got your starter and you want to ignore the gyms entirely, your starter can go, like, a Pokemon you caught at a low level and raised up will obey you forever. Yeah. It's only if you want to catch a thing that you didn't raise up to a high level, you caught it at a high level, you need badges to get it to obey you then. And I'm like... Okay, that works, because worst case scenario, if you ignore the gyms entirely, you can go to a high-level area, catch a Pokemon you want, breed an egg of it, and have it obey you no matter what level it is, because you hatched it at level one. Yeah. And, like, that difference, I think, makes, like, uh, really helps. It's, it's, it is helpful, because, God, I, I don't want to deal with the annoyance of it. I need to do one more gym to get the, um, the, the Cleopatra Ostrich one. Oh that, yeah, that's new that I was very yes. excited about, but when I caught it, I, I um, it was just over the level, so I need to run to a, a new gym and um, yeah, because I'm one one badge away from it listening to me because it's 
basically unusable. And so I'm glad they changed it because, yeah, that it's really harsh in this one. Um, it feels harsher, the, the sheer amount of times it won't listen. Yeah, so I do like that. I like that there are multiple quest lines. Yeah. Even though I do find it funny that we have a fully open world um, Pokemon game and the Team Rocket equivalent, the Team Stars, <laughs> are basically bandit camps. Like, it's basically just open world bandit camps, which... I like the way they're done. Yeah, they're open world bandit camps with like a cute, fun story, but they are bandit camps, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do like how they're done, which ties into the other thing I like with this game, which is the auto-battling. Mm. I do like that. I think it's a little... It's very easy for the Pokemon you're using to get confused and not attack anything. I know they won't when they're tired or what have you, but like sometimes they will just stand there looking or they'll walk away from um like the pathfinding can be really bad but sending your pokemon out to automatically fight pokemon is so good for grinding like it is right so convenient yeah and like i you know all all my other problems with shiny hunting aside i really like it for mass outbreaks where i can go cool there's a hundred of this pokemon spawning i'm trying to see if one of them is shiny don't waste my time let me just, like, smack through them in a few seconds. Cool, done. Yeah. The one drawback, depending on how important you view it, is it does make it very easy to be over-leveled uh, for battles. Like, I've been able to just walk through gym leaders. Yeah. And I don't mind that personally, because the battle side of Pokemon is honestly, like, not the most enthralling thing for me. It's a very simple battle system anyway. They're very long-winded in terms of the amount of text and, and re repetition. So being able to just cakewalk them, I don't mind that. Yeah. The only issue is I really need to make sure I've got a, a lower-level Pokemon just for catching. Yeah. Because you end up very quickly over-leveled and then you can't catch Pokemon because you are just steamrolling them. The the other bit of advice I'd give is um, if you catch a few Scyther or knock out a few Scythers, you can get resources to build the TM False Swipes, ah, yes. which, will, which will obviously never kill a Pokemon, never bring it down to zero HP. Stick that on one of your strong ones, you'll be fine. Yeah, I need to do that. Yeah, so I like that. I like the idea of the, the Pokemon Academy, of it being set in a school. You don't like that they won't let you get out of your school uniform. I fucking hate that. Oh, <laughs> I forgot about that. Right, back to complaints. Don't worry, don't worry. I wasn't going to let you forget. Yeah, like walking <laughs> that back as well. Like, like you can buy hats, bags, gloves, socks, shoes, but not outfits. You know when that frustrates me most? It's when all of the Team Star people have such cool outfits. Mm. And I'm like, I would love to be able to defeat one of the Team Star bases and be like, cool, can I dress like you now as a reward for beating your base? That would have been such a better reward for beating those bases is, yeah. Yeah. And I've seen a defense of it that's like, well, in Japan, kids are expected to wear uniforms all the time. I'm like, it's not Japan. It's it's whatever name of the region it is in Pokemon, and it's based on like like Spain more it's, than it's based on Spain. Yeah. So like, here's the other criticism I'll say to to that, which is um, if that's the case, they shouldn't have let you customize your outfit at all. Yeah. You, you should be a good, well-behaved Japanese school student who never never wears anything that isn't on the uh, approved list yeah. of outfit items. But no, you you are customizing it to a degree, and it speaks to being it speaks to the game feeling rushed again and off and and because like the past several, I I was so excited I didn't know, and I'm glad I was told so I wouldn't spend the whole game looking. 
the first town that had clothing shops, which I think is just the first main city overall. Yeah. I spent ages wandering around looking for a place that lets me change my pants and my tops. I spent ages being like, why are there only shoes and socks and bags? Like, wh- why can't I change my, my shorts and my top? And eventually gave up thinking, oh, it'll be in the next city. And it wasn't. Oh, it'll be in the next one. And it wasn't. Then I live streamed it and someone said, like, no, you've got to keep that on. I think it was me that let you know. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, yeah. Someone had said it, then you confirmed it for me. And yeah, and yeah I was, uh, I, I'm very disappointed. Like, I am someone who, you know, I, I've, my biggest pushback against people justifying microtransactions with it's just cosmetic. I've pushed back on that for many years on the basis that I think cosmetics are an important part of actual gameplay. That being able to customize a character is, um, it's a very fun part of a game for me. Yeah. Um, and I enjoy a Pokemon game where I can, like, I, I'm, People who have seen selfies of me know that I love like like purple or pink played tops. And having one of those in Pokemon Arceus was so good. It was so cool. I got to dress up as a cool like Power Ranger ninja in Legend Arceus. That was great. Yeah. And and not being able to do that is genuinely disappointing. Like, yeah, I I, I it's probably the most disappointing element of the game <laughs> for me. And just just because that, you know. My focus in, in games is, is like character customization, clothing options, has always been a really fun part of Pokemon for me ever since it was introduced a couple games back. Uh, so I'm very disappointed in that. But um, also I'm disappointed when I cleared the first Team Star base yeah. and, and the, the Team Star member came, came out riding on top of that tricked out yeah, yeah. Pokemon car... I was like, whoa, that is awesome. Can't wait to see what the next one is riding. It's a di- it was the same thing. It's a different colour car. It was the same thing. It could just do a poison attack instead. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I will never get bored of fighting a big cool car, but I do wish you could, like, what other things could have a, an engine? Have a motorcycle with the big engine on it. Have a bu- motorcycle. I, it would be good if there was more than one. Yeah, the fact that it's the same boss fight every time just with um, tweaked movesets is, yeah. again, disappointing. But I, I keep getting sidetracked to complain. I've still put a ton of, of time into the game. Like, the baseline Pokemon experience has held up for over 20 years. Yeah. Despite my many complaints over more recent years with uh, the various ways in which the games waste your time, you know, telling me that I picked up a berry and then using a second text box to tell me I put the berry in the berry pocket. It's like, I don't need to know that. I, I'm probably going to check the berry pocket menu if I want my berries. And there is some of that in this as well, just a lot of unnecessary information. There's definitely more than there was in Legends Arceus while being oh, considerably yes. less than Sword and Shield. It yeah. is... In in so many ways, it feels like a midpoint between Sword and Shield and Legends Arceus in terms of d- two steps forward, one step back, yeah. design-wise. So, yeah, like the baseline Pokemon experience is still largely good, um, with the usual um, complaints I have. Um, the new Pokemon are... A lot of the designs are very appealing uh, to someone who has largely been disappointed by non-Gen 1 Pokemon, except for a couple of uh, really good ones here and there. 
you know, I like the, yeah, it's just a flamingo. Like literally, it's just a flamingo. It's, it's yeah, but 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 Steph, it is it is your amigo though. Right. It is also your amigo. Yeah, I I was talking about that on stream. <laughs> like someone in chat was like, they just took a letter out. That is so lazy. And I'm like, it's so deceptively clever that it's flamingo. It's my friend the flamingo. Yeah. My flamingo. I like I like it. Yeah, because it looks so lazy. And then the moment you think about it and think what the setting is based on, it becomes really fucking clever. Can I can I stop and tell you though, the French version of this game has better localized puns. Oh, yeah? And some of the puns I'm actively annoyed are better in French. So Fido, the little uncooked bread dog. That's another name I really like. I love that name, but it evolves into Dax Bun? Like a Dachshund? Yeah, Dax Bun is very disappointing after Fido as a name. No, do you know what Dax Bun is called in French? Briochienne. Oh, oh. It's a brioche that dog. That is beautiful. Right, that's so much better of a pun. And like, uh, across the board, I keep being told about the French puns, and I'm like, I don't speak French very well. I can appreciate that Briochienne is a fucking good name for a Pokemon. Better than Dax Bun. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so yeah, like I'll, I've got my review coming. I'm not gonna belabor. I mean, we've already talked about it for the best part of an hour. <laughs> but just to give like an overall thought on it, like I am enjoying it, but there are a lot of of disappointing elements. Uh, well, things that range from disappointing to outright, like if if I was responsible for that, I'd feel humiliated as as an as a an artist, uh, as a creator, as a developer. I'm loving this game in spite of a lot of its own decisions that it made. Yeah, and I'm liking the game in spite of it. Like, like, I think that's where I'm at. It's like, I'm in the same camp as you, it's just my sense of endearment is um, dramatically less. Yes, I, I know that like our, our nitty-gritty thoughts are the same, despite the fact that I this is just a series I'm willing to overlook a lot more in. And that he, that problems with are going to be less of a overall problem for me, and that is just a thing about me and Pokemon. Anyway, Conrad, hi, are you still here? Have you been playing things? Oh yeah, I was just playing some Gungrave Gore while I waited. Oh, good um, choice, good choice. <laughs> no, um, well, I, okay, so I didn't put this on the list, but I did play something else. I, I'm I know Steph has played, and I think Laura, you might have too. I played uh, that uh, the Evil Dead. The game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, free on uh, on Epic this week, and I I only played the the single player content, the missions that they have in there. And my big takeaway is that there is like some sort of weird baseline difficulty in every single one of these games that is built for multiplayer. Oh yeah, the single player missions are like, I found them horrible. They, they are designed to push you towards multiplayer by going, aren't you having a bad, horrible time not having friends to help you? Go play online, scrub. Yeah, like it's got, I, I, it definitely feels like that. Yeah, like a punishment. A little, a li yeah, a little bit. I mean, it, it was very clearly like, yeah, okay, if I had just a little help here, none of this would be an issue at all. Um, I'm very nearly able to complete one of the missions. And I 
I do appreciate that they're delivering something that's a bit of a challenge. And and not even one that I necessarily feel too frustrated by because I do think that it can be done, right? Yeah. But I would have to push a little harder than I'm probably going to do. The dodge in that game sucks. Yes, it's, it is bad. It is bad. It is just useless. Yeah. And yet necessary. <laughs> it's just a problem. Yeah. And... I could do with let. I never thought I'd say this. I could actually do with less Bruce. Mm. Having a different uh, Bruce for each character class is excessive. I get that everyone wants to. Oh, no, I'm talking about the voice acting. And oh, when I okay. say Bruce, it's just because I only played levels where you were Ash. Uh, right. I didn't bother to hear any of the other characters, you know, have too many of their, you know, individual one-off lines being injected constantly into the experience. I found that a bit, it was just a bit much. Yeah. And it probably is another one of those things that in a multiplayer game wouldn't feel so oppressive because you're hearing everybody talking their little one-liners, mm -hmm. but instead it's just you. <laughs> it's kind of lonely. Oh. Uh, but the game's clearly pretty well made. You know, on the whole. It's enjoyable enough. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I did that. Uh, the other thing that I played this week is called Ghost Lore. Ghost Lord. Ghost Lore. Two words. Rhyme. Like plot about ghosts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is on, uh, I found this on Game Pass. It's in early access. And it's, it's a Diablo type game with that sort of perspective and, and control scheme, you know, and your various uh, cooldown powers and your basic attacks and a lot of picking up loot and comparing stats and stuff like that. It is very, very clearly in early access because there is a lot of UI and text stuff that hasn't been implemented yet that makes it feel super, super rough around the edges. But gameplay-wise, it's pretty functional. The thing that is interesting about it is that it is a Diablo-type game that is using Chinese mythology instead of Western mythology as its basis. So you're getting cool ghosts that you're fighting. And it's pretty neat. I'm not too far in. Um, I want to see how it, it develops further, but there's definitely a foundation for a decent Diablo like there already. And the setting being something that we don't generally get to see too often in that type of game could be really interesting. So I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on it. I just thought it was worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. That's, I think that's pretty much it for the things I played that I want to talk about yet. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, did we have anything else or shall we do news? Yeah. I will say I finally finished God of War. Oh. Yeah. I got my review up uh, yesterday, time of talking. Um, God, there's so much game. There is. Yeah. It, it, it is excellent. It, it is a superb game, even if it's got some pacing issues and I felt exhausted by the end of it where I'm like, I can't keep doing these environmental puzzles. I've got the mechanics down. I'm just trying to build up to a crescendo. Stop nagging me to do side content at this point. Um, but other than that, which 
honestly does so little to take away from how good the actual game is. And the fact that even though there's so much side content, it's all really well done. There is so little padding, so little fluff. It's incredible. That's the thing. It's so much side content that all feels like top-end, serious, well-worthwhile content. Yeah. I love that. Atreus is a really good playable character. Yeah, I feel like we're far enough out from launch to 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 acknowledge that. Yeah, he's still a little boner, but as a as a playable character, he's. I genuinely think they did a really good job of presenting. Hey, we don't just know how to make Kratos feel fun to play. Yeah, in, in a way, like like because Atreus can stun enemies so quickly. Yeah, and he's it's like. He makes he feels more powerful than Kratos simply because he's more efficient. Yeah. There was there was a point early on where Atreus is paired with someone who is throwing sort of like colourful smoke things as their assist. I love that attack. The the effect. Yeah, I was like, give me the those two. Make uh, like if you if you spun off God of War into a series about those two, um I'd have been I'd have been like, yeah, hell yeah, make this the mechanics of the series. Yeah. So yeah, just before we get to news, I just wanted to get that in. Yeah. Having finished it, I was simultaneously exhausted by the game <laughs> and sad to say goodbye to the characters who were all so well done. Yeah. The writing was great. Everything about the Asgardians was really good. Like, Odin is such a... He was such a good antagonist. Yeah. Just had that real affable sense to him where you didn't want to hate him, even though everything you hear about him throughout the game highlights he's a dick. Fascinating. Fascinating choice of actor. Yeah. I haven't played the game, but um, I am a kind of a big fan of Richard Schiff mm. as a performer. Oh, he was terrific. Yeah, he is perfect for this role. He's best known for having been on The West Wing. Mm. where he plays a con- kind of conflicted uh, communications director. Um, and he's pretty great in that. Every time I see him pop up in something. So when I found out that he was the guy playing Odin, I was like, oh, there is going to be a tone to this that's not what you'd expect. Yeah. The, the the tone is very much calculating personality who's really going to try and make you think that what he wants is also what you want and is for the greater good and to try and be the like i'm not going to raise my voice but also i know more than you know and i'm going to control the room with that all with this sort of swagger of a used car salesman yeah like this sort of real sort of like let's cut a deal kind of guy um and and the asgardians in general yeah the way they talk is like stylistically modernized like they don't the way like Kratos and the other sort of characters speak is a little more formal, um, with the exception of probably uh, Mimir, and I really like that actually. Like like the the turns of phrases that that Odin and and the other gods use and stuff, it just really emphasizes the difference in tone between these modern uh, contemporary God of Wars and the old ones. Yes. Um. So yeah, yeah, fucking superb game. Just oozes quality to an impressive degree uh so yeah yeah real good yeah uh in that case let's do some newsy bits because we got we got got a couple of them we can we can crack through uh so first up we've got more news on the back and forth between microsoft and sony specifically about call of duty and the Activision blizzard king 
acquisition. Yeah. So we're currently going through like all sorts of government oversight over whether this is monopolistic, uh, blah, blah, blah. According to uh, an interview between someone from Microsoft and the New York Times, uh, allegedly Microsoft offered Sony a 10-year deal to keep the series on PlayStation earlier this month. So we, we, we've known for a while that like Microsoft has been making a lot of open-ended, we have no plans generally to take it off the way from PlayStation systems. Last we talked, I think it was... Yeah, it's going to be on PlayStation as long as they're making consoles, but also, like, there were also quotes that came out around that time that were very, well, we're not going to say that in a contract because no contract's going to say forever. Yes, allegedly uh, 10 years was what was was offered, and Sony turned down 10 years of having Call of Duty post-acquisition, which, you know... That, that Well, that's a statement on your expectation of the life of the franchise, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So uh, speak, specifically, on November 11th, uh, they offered Sony a 10-year deal to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation. Sony has not publicly responded to that. It really seems like this is yet another example of uh, Microsoft really trying to tell regulators, at least in the next decade, we're not going to become a monopoly uh, over this. Additionally, in that New York Times interview, uh, Microsoft has accused Sony of misleading regulators, which is a lot to accuse, saying that the company had overstated the importance of Call of Duty to its viability. So yeah, as far as Microsoft is concerned, they don't. Th th their argument is Sony is saying we will we will lose noticeable market share without Call of Duty, and Microsoft saying no, 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 it's not gonna it's not gonna really impact you not having Call of Duty. Don't worry about it. They're overselling how big a deal it would be to not have Call of Duty on PlayStation. Christ. Yeah, Microsoft is trying to downplay how big of a deal Call of Duty is in terms of numbers because, like, we can all acknowledge for for better or worse. Call of Duty is a big fucking series, and losing Call of Duty is going to be a big deal. On a similar note, Activision Blizzard, you, you remember how you had to have a contract phone number to play um, Call of Duty or Overwatch online? I do recall that. How that was a thing? Bit of a kerfuffle. Yeah, so they've walked back that kerfuffle. You will still need a phone number, but it can now just be a prepaid pay-as-you-go sim. You can Any phone number will be fine. So it kind of undoes the whole thing they were trying to do in the first place. You can just buy and get a new pay-as-you-go sim to get around the ban if you want, I guess. But at least they're not making it so people with pay-as-you-go phones just aren't allowed to play games that they want to play. Yeah, I mean that's it's still some barrier to entry. Yeah, it it's not as it's not as good as walking it back entirely, but it's at least some degree of walk back, and I'll take it. Yeah. Well, and and again, I. I don't, to a certain extent, I don't mind as much, like, I don't know, it feels a little bit like there's a compromise trying to be struck between inconveniencing people who want to be dicks and minimizing the inconvenience for anyone else who doesn't. And I don't know how effective a compromise this is, but I am looking more and more at models that try to make it harder for people to be a pain in the ass in a place. I mean, look, I'm I'm going to say this. I think the easiest one is to use fucking console ID. If you're going to do that, ba ban a user based on their console ID so that at that point their console just will not connect to that game. And I know that that sucks for the fucking secondhand market, and I know what that does. Yeah. I know the fundamental problems there, but... Yeah, that's that's that gets 
real thorny too. It, I know, I know, I know it has its own problems, but I'm also like, hey, just, just don't, don't gatekeep people's ability to play games based on whether they have a fucking contract phone number. Yeah, that that is way too far. Yeah. Other news, uh, news that's relevant to me, being being um, world record speedrunner that I am. Cooking Mama Cookstar. We finally got some news on the legal situation around that game. Oh god, this. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Cooking Mama IP owner Office Create uh, has revealed that a court has ruled in its favour following a legal battle with uh, the the developer slash publisher of Cooking Mama Cookstar. Wow. Uh, do you remember back in the day this game released on Switch and then like two days later it got pulled off the eShop with no explanation and then it got sold physically. And then it got sold physically on PS4, and then it stopped being sold on PS4, and it's been this whole, like, back and forth. So we now know, like, a bit more of what actually was going on there. Office Create claimed that Planet Entertainment had refused to correct what it saw as widespread deficiencies affecting the overall feel, quality, and content of the game. Yeah, it's a bad game. They were conjecturally obligated to address those concerns and instead just put the game out with without Office Create's approval. Office Create terminated the license for the co- for Cooking Mama, said it was considering legal action, given the fact that that uh, Planet Entertainment continued to advertise and sell unauthorized copies of Cookstar on on PS4 and Switch. Uh, two God, was this two fucking years ago? Yeah, yeah. So so they did sue Planet Entertainment uh, for breach of IP rights, um, and the 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 final finding was that. Uh, Planet Entertainment were not authorised to release Cooking Mama Cookstar on Switch or PS4. Uh, the license agreement had been validly terminated. Those were unlicensed games that infringed on copyright. They had engaged in unfair competition. Yes, part of this is that the packaging, labelling, and games themselves falsely identified the origins of the goods as Office Create. Mm. Because, yeah, the physical Switch and PS4 versions both say Office Create on them, despite the fact that Office Create is like, no, 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 we are not involved in this. We you would we told them they weren't allowed to sell it. Uh, so that's a big part of it. And they are financially liable for their conduct. So they are forbidden, they are legally banned from selling uh, Cookie Mama products. That's like the, the basic thing. They're going to have to pay a bunch of money. They're going to have to follow all necessary steps to ensure it's removed from the market. So my physical copies are going to be, you know, important to keep a hold of if I want to keep speed running. Fun thing that, like, the, the, the news stories about this story have not talked about. On the 11th of November, so while this court case was ongoing but about to end, Planet Entertainment released a game called Yum Yum Cookstar on PS4 and Switch and Xbox. Hmm. It sure appears to be 100% Cooking Mama Cookstar just reskinned to remove the Cooking Mama branding. Hmm. So, hey, it sure seems like they're going to be allowed to reuse that exact same work that they knew they were about to be unable to keep selling. It's literally the same fucking game, but they took the Cooking Mama out while the law- the lawsuit was ongoing. Uh, it's now hosted by Chef Yum Yum, <laughs> who is definitely not Cooking Mama. Uh, so yeah, that's that's that story. I'm I'm fascinated that there's any company that is willing to still touch first playable productions. The sheer nerve of them, like it's incredible. Uh, Raven's Court is the publisher of this new game, and I'm like, Raven's Court, really? You want to touch this? Because like, I wouldn't be surprised if they got sued for reusing work mm-hmm. that was initially done for Office Creates. This was work that was done 
four office creates that is now being sold under a different publisher and a different name. Like, th- I wouldn't be surprised if, like, that got them legal trouble down the line. So, that's that's fun. Isn't that fun, everyone? Delightful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Steph, do you want to give us a summary on this one? We don't have to go into a length on it because it was the topic of the Jimquisition this week, mm. but uh, Yuji Naka was allegedly arrested for insider trading this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Yuji Naka and two other people... Um, a former Square Enix employee and a friend of his were arrested on suspicion of insider trading. Uh, they allegedly bought shares in a game developer called Aiming after hearing that they would be developing a Dragon Quest free-to-play game, Dragon Quest Tact. And that's more or less the story. Um, yeah. What's funny is when you look at the comparative money that was spent, like we're looking at like... A couple million yen a piece. But you look at the conversion rate, it was like tens of thousands of dollars. It was like, this was not high stakes enough to risk this kind of legal trouble. Yeah, this is not the kind of money that you risk insider trading charges over. No. Yeah, so so that's basically the story is Yuji Naka... who's obviously sort of the the big reason this story blew blew up because you know he co-created Sonic the Hedgehog and and yeah yeah to sort of have that rep in the industry and do this honestly like the i think all we really need to say about this is no matter where in the world you are capitalists are going to capitalism and try and steal money out of the system because that's fundamentally how they operate they don't yep. want yeah. some of the money they want all of the money and this is a way to get more of the all of the money yeah and and the you know the point i made on the gym position is that it is very easy to compare uh what happened here to square enix um who who were sort of involved in this insofar as they employed most of these um traders uh and say oh what a surprise oh a company like Square Enix hiring con merchants. Oh, what a surprise. Um, it's very easy to do that, and that's why we should do it. Because <laughs> it's fun. It's not... Correlation is not causation. No. But Square Enix separately are a bunch of fucking con merchants. It's correlation in as much as corporation did shitty things and people who are in high positions in corporations do shitty things yeah pretty much those are both facts that are correlated even if the fact it's square enix and or sega are in no way really yeah relevant it's just corporations they're the same people yeah the the people insider trading and the people making the shitty decisions at game publishers are all cut from the same cloth and they're all crooks in their own ways. It's just some of the crookery is legal, uh, even though it shouldn't be. You know, more legal than others. Yeah, it, it it isn't surprising. And no, it's not the cause. But it is also quite fitting that this kind of shit was going on with a company that is run by, by con merchants, uh, scam artists. And that's what they are. You push NFTs and you're a scam artist. Yeah. Matsuda is a con artist. The president of Square Enix is a con artist. Allegedly. No, no, no. He's a con artist. For the NFT stuff. For the NFT stuff that we know he did, he's a con artist. As I've said, anyone who pushes crypto, anyone who pushes NFTs especially, is pushing a scam. And 
they're knowingly doing it because the only way NFTs ever worked was for the grift to be passed on. And Square Enix is still humping that, even though the, the, the market crashed, even though NFTs have been widely discredited. We talked about it on Podquisition. Two weeks ago, they were still doing this. Two weeks ago, they announced some shit fucking browser game that was billed as a, a, um, a playable NFT art gallery. Like, it, it basically all the bravest, but, but, but more but tied to a larger con rather than just being its own little con. No, Matsuda's a scam artist. That's not allegedly. Uh, anyone who pushes NFTs is. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's not surprising that, that you got insider traders fucking around at Square Enix. You've got those kinds of people knocking about at all these companies. It's like Laura said, capitalism is going to capitalism. Yeah. Capitalists, they're all fucking brooks. I just feel the need to, you know, it, it's not yet, there aren't convictions from a legal perspective. You live in a place where libel law is a thing. You think, you think Yuji Naka's going to sue me? No, I don't. No, no he's not. <laughs> but uh, here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. One of the reasons I didn't harp on too much about Yuji Naka and the other two guys in my uh, video, except go over the allegations, is it doesn't matter whether they did it or not. For the points I'm making, sure, it don't matter. My point is, whether they're doing it within the bounds of law or not, all these men are crooks. In some way, shape or form, all of them are scam artists' chances because they're executives. I mean, that's all capitalism. Yeah. They're executives. Yeah, that is that is all all of capitalism. They're capitalists. They are all con artists, and they deserve each other. Uh, so to finish up quickly, our last little story for the day. I I put this story on the docket just because to hear that to hear the companies involved before I say what they're trying to do is going to feel like tonal whiplash. Riot Games and Ubisoft are teaming up. To use AI to read through your chat logs from and try and combat harassment in the games industry. What? What? Riot Games and Ubisoft. Right, two horrible flavors. Yep, are teaming up to try and fight harassment in the video game industry by using AI to read through all of your gaming chat logs. Oh, so Ubisoft. <laughs> yeah. Ubisoft is not policing its own executive class who have a long history of sexual harassment up to and including criminal sex abuse. Yeah, yeah. They're not interested in that, but they are interested in their player base. Yeah. Doing, do, doing a harassment. Yeah. Riot Games, the company that's long, long had um, accusations of being like a frat house that treats um, women uh, like lessers, is not interested in addressing that so much as um, making sure that Gamers, that their own customers, yeah, yeah, aren't doing a harassment. Yeah. Now, before we go further, I should point out there is a massive bigotry problem in the gaming community. Wait, what? Yes, of course. <gasps> massive. Wow. This is news to me. Oh. But for Ubisoft, yes, and to a lesser degree, Riot. But 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 for both of them, yeah. But Riot and of all fucking companies, Ubisoft, to 
dare to do this, to dare to do this is fucking rich. Clean your own fucking backyard up. The thing I will say in response to this is both of those are companies who have online multiplayer games that have particularly toxic online communities. And there is something to be said for these two trying to find a solution to clean up their own communities. And if you're going to have a sample size yes. effective for the purposes of truly training an AI on how to recognize hate speech. Yeah, Ubisoft and Riot Games are not the worst companies to use as AI data training sets for recognizing examples of toxic harassment in game chats. Oh, yeah. But the sheer nerve, like, yeah. like, like, does Ubisoft think this is like going to be good PR from the perspective of, see, let's forget what they've done. They're trying to do good, even though like, like, like employees at Ubisoft are still saying nothing's being done to protect them from like, like direct in-person abusers. Okay, well, and, and this is a cost-benefit analysis thing. Also, okay, what is more important to you if you are seeking to make the most money? Yes. Spending money to make sure that your workforce is happy, satisfied, and, you know, increasing your costs dramatically, or implementing a system that might make your product seem a little bit more welcoming and therefore increase the customer base. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's they want their games to seem more like they, they don't want to scare people away from playing their games because of toxic players, whilst also not having to pay people to, to manually deal with harassment. <laughs> well, and neither of these it neither of these options would demonstrate, you know, an interest in caring about people. Right. Nothing yeah. about this cares about people or seeks to make their lives better. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, there we go. That's 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 all the news. That's all the games. It's been another long one this week, but it's, it's been a good one. Yeah, it's been a good good time. Yeah, it's been a long one, but I know these content dogs. They need their bowls refilled as soon oh. as they're done lapping up every juicy chunk. You slavering hounds! Don't worry though. Laura's got some stuff for you. Oh, I do have some stuff for you. You can find me at Laura K Buzz. All the places you might want to find stuff. Uh, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills. YouTube, look out this probably on Friday for uh, accessibility, talking in some more depth about the shiny hunting accessibility in Scarlet and Violet, and sort of going into some more depth about like the fundamental problems with like the back steps in accessibility for audio and visual stuff in that regard. Uh, I'm really proud of that video, go look out for it Friday. Yeah, just Laura K. Buzz. You'll find me on all the places. What about you, Conrad? Oh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. And I have, uh, I guess it's uh, at or Conrad Zimmerman at masthead.social if you want to oh. find me on Mastodon. Yeah, I should be pushing that too. I'm Laura K. Buzz at, LGB, uh, at tech.lgbt. What do you what do you think about Mastodon as like a service? Uh I think that it does a decent job of uh I, I like that it has uh good um content warning policies and seems to be pretty up on making sure people do uh alt text. Like accessibility wise, there's some good stuff going on. 
I recognize the the complaints from people on Twitter that like it is very white right now in terms of who's gone there, it and is like very there are white. things to be there are things to be addressed with that. I think that fundamentally they need to do a much better job of educating people on the fact that DMs are much less private here than they are on, say, Twitter. No, they aren't. Well, okay. <laughs> no, that's that's a misconception. It's ju- it, the the idea is merely that there are more people who have access to people's DMs locally than yeah. Yes, you you are your your DMs are like uh, uh, could potentially be read by someone on a much smaller scale than a corporation having to take interest in you to read them. Right. And that is that is a thing that I think people need to, like, fundamentally... Also, like, the onboarding process for Mastodon is fucking nonsense, and the people who are on Mastodon don't do themselves any favours with how they explain that. that. <laughs> no, they, they do not. Yeah. Now, I will say, I, I think that the approach... You know, and I looked at Mastodon five years ago, the last time the Nazis were insufferable, but... The thing about Mastodon that I think is is really interesting and has the potential is the scalability of communities. Yep, agreed. And that concern about who can read your DMs is less of a factor if you are on an instance where there's a hundred people and you have a speaking relationship with your admin. I mean, that is one hundred percent like yeah, you know, that is a thing. And I once I understood like that was sort of the. The process of how you like why where you should be deciding to sort of base yourself on Mastodon that made a lot more sense. Yeah, you know, and there are certainly reasons to get onto some of the larger um, instances. I'm on masthead.social right now. I will not be. Yeah. For terribly long, but I went there because a lot of journalists were getting onto that instance. Not specifically gaming journalists, but you know, journalists of wider yeah. uh, topic and. So th- I knew I would be able to find people specifically that I would want to find on that instance. But I'm going to hop off there and find some small place with a few people that I know. Yeah. Um, or or start my own instance, possibly. I haven't... Honestly, if you if you start your own, I'll probably hop over to yours. <laughs> yeah. I'd been I'd been considering the same thought. Yeah, because it's, it's one of those deals where if it's very localized and you can have control over the content at that level there's uh it's super flexible yeah um and easy to maintain so i appreciate it's really easy to make it uh operate and look like tweet deck as well yeah that has yeah. eased the process of swapping over there uh now i have already had to install a desktop app yeah yeah um, because the the browser version does not have enough features and i'm still surfing around to find a desktop app that totally does everything i want yeah i'm using whalebird right now because it allows multiple account logins mm. which is very useful but yes. um there are some other things i would like it to be able to do that it just doesn't do quite yet so we'll see anyway uh you can Buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com. Audiobooks are at conradreads.com. You can hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. That's true, actually. Uh, patreon.com slash jimquisition. Uh, that supports this show, the Jimquisition, the... Um written reviews that we've been doing on uh, thejimquisition.com. I also stream Mondays, Wednesdays, sometimes at uh, the weekend at twitch.tv slash Jim Sterling. Current wrestling dates. 
Uh, our confirmed ones are December 30th in Sheffield. Uh, that is True Grit Wrestling. Uh, January 14th in Leeds, also True Grit Wrestling. 28th of January, uh, which I think is Sheffield, and that is also True Grit Wrestling. Um, February 5th is Sovereign Pro Wrestling. I'm obviously not going to be working with Scotty Too Hotty anymore, um, but I absolutely will do um, a heck of a, a show. Um, my own self-run promotion that I run with Phoenix is um, Spectrum Wrestling. Uh, our YouTube channel is, because they do fucking handles now, our YouTube channel is at Spectrum P, uh, yeah, Spectrum PW. We've got our first show, our debut show, Rejoice, um, up there right now. And over, hopefully in the next sort of week, we will have Kaleidoscope, the show we did this past weekend. It's an, an absolutely, like, I can't oversell how funny that show is, how, how funny Kaleidoscope was, how entertaining it was. Laura's going to be commentating on it alongside Cultaholics' Tom Campbell. It's going to be really good. And then we will, we're definitely running a third show. Uh, we will have details at some point. Uh, and that's it. Uh, thank you all so much. Um, the kids haven't been brought round, so I've got time to play some Evil West. Ooh. Uh, brilliant. Um, and I'm going to go do that. So I will see you all next week along with Laura Conrad. Thank you so much for your support, for listening, for everything. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.